Welcome to The Shannon Plan. This is episode 111. My name is Kyle Posey. I am joined, as always, by Akash. Akash, doing some traveling this week. How you doing, man? Doing fantastic. I'm uh, working out of Dallas, Texas. So, you know, behind enemy lines. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you land in Dallas-Fort Worth and it's just cowboy stuff all over the place. And I had my uh, Debo Samuel wide receiver running back one hoodie on. So, you know, I had to represent the 49ers put on a show last year in Dallas in the playoffs. And hope you're doing well, man. I know your Braves lost earlier today, but. Mm, did not have to go there, but yes, they did. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> um, so shout out to Dallas. Actually, they did the 49ers a favor, beat the Rams. With a backup QB, man, the 49ers, I don't know if they broke the Rams, but they did not recover. They have not recovered since. So a pretty big weekend for the 49ers. So they beat the Panthers, manhandled the Panthers, really. Um, As far as they went as far as getting a coach fired, then the rest of the NFC West loses. So couldn't have had a better weekend for the 49ers. So before we get there, we're going to talk about some injuries because it, it doesn't seem like this team is allowed to have nice things. So. I mean, they put up 37 points. They just dominate the ball on both are on both sides of the ball. And then you see some injuries happen. So in the second quarter, Nick Bosa went out and Kyle Shanahan said it was it was more like a preventative type deal where, you know, you just you don't want to test a Nick Bosa groin injury, especially if it's Nick Bosa. So sure enough, uh, he got shut down for the rest of the game. But the real heartbreaker came late in the game. The game was well decided by then. It's a deep pass down the middle of the field. Emmanuel Mosley is running. He goes up to make a play. He comes down on his left leg, I believe, and then instantly start. he grabs his knee. And that's all you need to know. Like, it was serious. Uh, Shannon said after the game that they feared it was an ACL. And on Monday, it was confirmed that Mosley did indeed tear his ACL. And during the conference call on Monday, Shannon, you, like, you could hear it in his voice. That, like, he really appreciates the type of player that Emmanuel Mosley is. He spoke about it as much the week before, just, you know, he, he kind of came up from nothing. So he was an undrafted free agent, worked his butt off in scout team. That's where he got noticed. And he turned himself into a very valuable cornerback. So like, he's not a top 10 corner by any means, but at the same time, he is probably one of, if not the best CB two in the game. And he just brings a lot to the table. Brutal. He was able to open up a lot Brutal. on the defense. Yeah, man. So in a contract year, he, he is, he was playing well enough to get paid. And now uh, the 49ers will be without, you know, one of one of their better players, honestly. So uh, it, it's a, it does suck that Mosley season is over. So the 49ers are going to turn to, we will find out. It could be Jason Verrett. So Shannon said, you know, Verrett's going to have to get up to speed. He's going to have to play himself into shape. He's going to have to show that he can hold up through a few practices. In my mind, other options – are Deombro Lenore, who did play outside when Mosley went down, and that meant Sammy Womack played in the slot. Womack is another option. Womack was the first name that Shanahan actually mentioned when he was talking about potential replacements. And then, of course, old reliable, old faithful, Dante Johnson, who is an option. Yes, (laughs) yes, 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 who (laughs) never is out of um, a competition in anything 49ers, it seems. But – it more than likely it'll be red. My thought process was, I think that the 49ers wanted to buy red a couple, couple more weeks, maybe even up to a month, just you know, you you on Jason Red in December, in January, like October, November, sure, 
it matters for the playoffs. And it, it seems, especially now with the way the rest of the NFC West is playing, that the four Niners will be in the playoffs. So we'll see about Brett. I mean, everybody knows how good, of he, good he is as a player. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on. We will learn more about um, who plays cornerback. Uh, other injuries, it just <laughs> it seems like, yeah, it seems like it's nonstop with his team. And that's always the case. Um, Jimmy Ward broke his hand on the opening kickoff. How? So he played on the kickoff team occasionally last year. So he was on there for 10 of the 16 starts. So that's more than a That's more than half. Yeah. Um, his first game back. And Kyle Shannon said he didn't even realize that Ward, Ward himself didn't realize that he broke his hand. So he's on the field for the first defensive snap. Um, he was playing in the box. He was playing all over the place. And then sure enough, like they, they realized that he was, he broke his hand. He was ruled out. So Ward is going to have surgery. He's go, They're going to figure out if he is able to play with a cast or, you know, whatever it is club. that they're going to use a club on his hand. Yeah. So uh, Jimmy Ward, perhaps Emmanuel Mosley, obviously down. Um, on Tuesday, the 49ers released Marlon Mack running back from the practice squad. Potentially, Ty Davis Price could be returning. And, and, you know, it seems like that John Lynch spoke about that a little bit last week where uh, he said TDP is on the men and on the, he's doing well with his rehab. Trent Williams, uh, another potential to – and, again, I don't think that it's going to happen on the road in the, with the Falcons game. I would treat the Chiefs game like an all-hands-on-deck because you get the Chiefs, and then I think the Chargers are next, and then you get a bye week. So try to get these guys back for a couple of games, and you get a break, you get, you get a week off. So um, just injuries, injuries, injuries. Any any real takeaways, any real surprises from you when uh, on, this, on the injury front? A couple of things on the injury front. Uh, we'll start with Ty Davis-Price. Like you mentioned, and I think uh, stats, our producer told us before we – before we started, John Lynch on KMBR on Friday said that Ty Davis Price, his rehab is going well. So maybe there's a chance he's closer to returning, um, which just means, you know, Jeff Wilson, Tevin Coleman don't have to take as much of the workload on, even though they look pretty good on Sunday. Um, so that's promising. Uh, second thing, Trent Williams. Uh, one of my favorite things about the 49ers is when they walk out with the boom box, uh, Debo Samuel leading out the way. Uh, don't like the song this year as much as I did last year's song, but that's a whole other story for a different podcast. But Trent Williams was out there walking. I know Matt Barrows posted a video. He was running before the game. So it feels like Trent Williams might be back sooner, maybe in a couple weeks for the Chiefs game. So maybe his high ankle sprain wasn't as bad as, as uh, originally anticipated. So a couple of bright spots. Um, I know the 49ers also signed uh, a defensive tackle to the practice squad. So maybe that means Eric Armstead or Javon Kinlaw's injury might take a little longer uh, than they initially anticipated, which isn't good news. So, you know, some good and some bad, but like every year with the 49ers, it feels like the injuries just keep mounting and it's like star player after star player after star player. Um, but they just keep swinging. They keep finding a way to win games and we'll see how long they can keep this going with just bodies dropping left and right. Yeah, I think the schedule allows will allow the 49ers to be successful. So we mentioned the Falcons coming up and then you have the Chiefs and the Rams and the Chargers. So they are those are all defenses. And I know those are, you know, prominent teams. And you, you, the first thing you think of those teams are the offense. But I think the 49ers could be able to, 
should be able to put points on the board in. And I mean, we know they're what their defense is capable of. So speaking of defense, let's talk about the defense and some of the individual performances that we saw on the defense side of the ball. So we mentioned the 49ers played so well that, you know, the Matt Rule was fired. If I'm Carolina, after watching what San Francisco just did to my team, I'm looking across the sideline like, who is that defensive coordinator and how do I get my hands on him? But to D'Amico Ryan's credit, like he he does everything right. It seems like he's always pushing the right buttons. It helps when you have good players all over the place. So despite missing Nick Bosa, despite missing Jimmy Ward, the Panthers still could do next to nothing. Like they put together a few drives. You know the defense is spectacular when the Carolina, for example, scores early in the third quarter. And you're like, wait, what's going on? What's happening? Is there something wrong? Is everything okay? That's just how dominant they are, that we're just not used to seeing teams move the ball in general, let alone put points on the board. But what they're getting from Charvarius Ward, for example. So they signed Mooney Ward this offseason and it was a it was a healthy contract. It was a decent contract, but it wasn't exactly like a, a JC Jackson. It wasn't a number one type of cornerback type of contract. And I think that kind of tempered expectations. And we talked about it a little bit uh, during the course of the offseason where like this guy's good, man. Like he is he is the type of cornerback they need. And we're seeing what he can do, open up things for everybody else. So so far this off or sorry, this season. Uh, Mooney, or even this past game, he had four pass breakups on seven targets. And I think the most impressive part was he's getting his hands on the ball on every route that's, as you know, teams are running. Not short, deep, intermediate, everything. He seems to be right around the ball. And he's tackling, which is a big freaking deal. So he's among the league leaders in pass breakups, forced incompletion percentage, which is essentially any time you get, you're involved in a target uh, he was one of the league leaders in yards per target, but that one, that deep one down the sideline kind of took him out of the runnings for that. Still, he's been everything and then some for the 49ers so far. We don't really talk about Fred Warner just because I think everybody just kind of takes it for granted. Uh, yeah, he's the best linebacker in the NFL. Who cares? I don't think that's fair. <laughs> I don't think that's giving him enough credit. Some of the plays that he made against Carolina – other players aren't making those plays over the course of the season, let alone in the game. So he had a play where he sniffed out a screen. He had a play where they can use him as a blitzer, and he will beat an offensive lineman. He's not beating a running back. It's a guy who weighs over 300 pounds. There are yeah. times where he's in the backfield. There was one play, uh, his first tackle, tackle for loss. He was in the backfield or at the line of scrimmage, and Dre Greenlaw was like still in his stance. The things that he does – is really incredible. And I, I will never not be amazed by uh, some of the plays that Fred Warner makes. And then, I mean, Hufunga had a tackle for loss. I was really impressive. He has good coverage skills, as we all know. I can just go down the line, though. And it, it's – they're well coached. They don't make mistakes. And they all play together. They're all in unison. And, and you can't sit out about a lot of defenses. When you watch other teams in the NFL, it doesn't seem like they really have a plan. They're, they really don't know what they're doing. I guess it's the easiest way to put it. And that's just not the case for the 49ers. Couldn't be further from the truth, which is why it is easy to be excited about this team, despite the injuries. And we talked about it before we got on here. How many teams can maintain this type of excellence with the number of starters out? Absolutely. And they've, and they've got playmakers at every level. We talked about it. You mentioned it. 
it's a lot easier to be a defensive coordinator when you've got talent across the field. And that that's not to take away credit from D'Amico Ryans because he's doing a hell of a job. And you got to be able to push the right buttons, but they've got legit talent at all three levels of this defense. And now, you know, we talked about it this offseason. They've got a legit man cover corner in, in Mooney Ward. And I think it was the opening pass play, or it was like the second down on the opening Panthers drive. Uh, they put Mooney Ward on an island against DJ Moore. DJ Moore is basically running like a go route. Mooney Ward obviously has a PBU, deflects the pass at the catch point. So he's able to stay, you know, step for step with one of the better receivers in the game. And then I think it was the third down or third down play, third and one. He's one-on-one in space with a running back and brings him down. So he's up there in terms of, you know, run defense with some of the better corners in the game. He's all, I think he leads the league and passes defense at seven for the season. I mean, that one hell of a signing. I think I saw someone post on Twitter uh, John Lynch basically tell Mooney Ward after the last game, like worth every penny, like as Mooney Ward is like walking into the locker room and it couldn't be truer. He's been fantastic. He's been everything you can ask for. Just seems like the right fit. It feels like sometimes at corner and wide receiver, you get some diva ish type qualities. And it seems like that's not Mooney Ward whatsoever. Um, and then you look at the defensive line. I mean, they lost Tink Bosa, but Charles Menu, I think, had like four or five pressures. Samson Ebicom had a sack. Uh, Kevin Givens, like you mentioned, played well. I, they just got dudes coming off the edge, and Kaserik's really doing a fantastic job with that unit. They've got 21 sacks, I think, through five games, which leads the league. They've got an adjusted sack rate of 10%. I think that's the highest they've had since Lynch and Shanahan insane. got here. I mean, that's that's absolutely stupid. And real quick, I mean, I think in 2019 they were. I'm just going off the top of my head. I think it was eight. Yeah, it was. I, I want to say 8.7 for some reason. That number is sticking to my head. So for them to be two percentage points higher, what? It, it's it's insane. Man. It's insane. And then on top of that, so you've got this pass rush that's better than they were in 2019, and you've got a back end that can legitimately cover. And it blows that Emmanuel Mosley's going to miss the rest of the season because if he's your second corner, I mean, that's as good as it gets in the NFL. And then you've got a back end with Talano Hufanga, who's clearly taken a step. And then you've got Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw flying all over the middle of the field. I mean, Dre Greenlaw leads the league in tackles. I mean, I, th- I feel like he's almost being overshadowed because he plays next to the best linebacker in the NFL. But he's taken his game to a whole another level. That defense has so much talent. And, you know, they're missing, obviously – Aziz Shire's, you know, done for a while. Jimmy Ward, broken hands, going to miss some time. Manny Mosley out for the season. And they're, I think they're going to keep pace with what they've been doing. It's just – it's nuts. I mean, another stat, they've allowed 12 first-half points this season in five games, and I think the next lowest was 37. Like, some of these numbers are just, like, video game-like uh, of what they're doing, and it's so impressive to watch. And I feel like people almost are underappreciating what they've done so far. So I looked it up, and in 2019, they had a 9% adjusted sack rate, which was first, which is also very freaking good. Uh, last year, they dropped all the way to fourth at uh, with an 8% sack rate, and this year they are second to Tampa Bay with a 10% sack rate, adjusted sack rate. And adjusted sack rate matters just because, you know, if we're talking total sacks, that just goes based on, you know, the the, the total number, as it says. With adjusting, you're, you're adjusting for – know how many times you are facing an actual drop back so it matters and the fact that they are that high is really freaking impressive if you go down the line 
CBS Sports tweeted this today. If you go down the line, they're essentially first in everything. <laughs> and if if you were to pick a stat, they're first. Points allowed, yards per game, yards per play, rushing yards per game, passing touchdowns, sacks, first downs allowed per game. Um, I, Three I and imagine, outs? Yeah, three and out. Like, their third down defense is nuts. And I, to me – that's where a guy like Fred Warner has his biggest impact just because they're able to use him, as I said, as a blitzer. Um, in coverage, where they're, I tweeted out a clip last week where he's running down the field 35 yards with Jerry Judy. He can, he's covering Christian McCaffrey one-on-one. Most teams have to double McCaffrey, or at least give him a lot more attention than the 49ers to Mika Ryan's being like, hey, we're just going to put this guy on him, erase him, and we'll be fine everywhere else. Uh, what, they're, what they're able to do at essentially – three, four positions is, is pretty nutty. So um, I'm glad that we're able to not just focus on the wards and the Warners and, you know, give credit to guys like Kevin Givens, guys like Charles Aminu, guys like Samson Ebercom. And, and it helps that, you know, they're playing next to whether it's a Nick Bosa, whether it's a Warner, but I mean, there's talent all over the field. So it's, it makes it easy to picture this, what they're doing being sustainable. So speaking of sustainable, Jimmy Garoppolo, in my opinion, that was probably the best that I've ever seen him play. When you're talking about quarterbacks, numbers are pretty tricky just because, like, for example, EPA, when we've talked about this before. More offensive stat. Yeah, if Jimmy throws a slant to Debo and Debo takes it to the house, like, that's going to be reflected on Jimmy's EPA per play. I just think as far as him beating the blitz, so if you can't win under pressure as a quarterback, you just can't play in the NFL. I mean, we've seen that time and time again, but – the way that he handled the pressure against Carolina, the way that he knew where to go with the football was very good. And I think more so than anything, the fact that he was willing to throw the ball down the field, something that we hammer on, it seems like every freaking episode. I don't know if he's turning over a new leaf, but I hope that he is because this offense will be devastating if he is able to push the ball down the field. So Jimmy had, he had the one throw outside the numbers early on those 30 yards where Tevin Coleman, he didn't make a great catch. Like he, you have to make a tough catch in that situation because you are one-on-one. He doesn't get an opportunity to make that catch. If Jimmy doesn't give him a chance, the worst case scenario in that play obviously is an interception, but more than likely it would just be an incompletion. You live for another down. There's a higher probability of those type of throws resulting in receptions for the offense or defensive pass interferences. That play is a prime example of why you push the ball down the field. Uh, so many good things can happen. And not just that, not just that play alone. So later on in the game, now now that I see the quarterback throwing the ball down the field, I have to respect those throws. Now the safeties can't sit at 10, 11, 12 yards and play downhill and try to rob everything over the middle, which he almost got in trouble for on the very first possession, or yeah, very first possession of the game. So he, he did a good job of bouncing back. He didn't I don't want to say get like scared of throwing the ball, um, you know, kind of tuck his tail after that, but that was, it was really good to see. So Jimmy Garoppolo under pressure, uh, he looked good when he was blitzed. Like sure. There were times where he, he could do better, but I just think is being under control, knowing where to go with the football, pushing the ball down the field and giving his guys an opportunity. Also, he, like he does do a, a good job. And this has been one of his better traits where like the offensive line, they're going to get beat. Like, they're, they are young, they're inexperienced, and there are going to be things that they, that the, the opposing defense does where guys like Aaron Banks and Spencer Burford just haven't seen. That 
puts more pressure on Jimmy to get rid of the ball quickly. That puts more pressure on him to be able to pick up the blitz and account for extra and free rushers. And I thought he did a really nice job of that on Sunday as well. So the question is what we saw from Jimmy Garoppolo sustainable. Is this going to be him? Was this a product of him playing a poor defense? What do you think? Yeah. Is it, is it Hemi G? <laughs> is that what we're getting the rest of the season or was this kind of just a, a flash in the pan? And I know you said poor defense, but Carolina's got some talent all over the field, man. And if you look at DVOA, I know they are actually better than most people give them credit for. And I thought that defensive line just was in Jimmy Garoppolo's face more often than not on Sunday. And he just made some throws that we haven't been accustomed to seeing him make. And that's why I think, uh, you know, guys like us were, were surprised and kind of thrilled with what we saw on Sunday because the two plays that you mentioned, right? Carolina has six, you know, six guys up at the line of scrimmage. I think the Niners were an empty, I believe both of those times. So there's only five guys in protection. So, you know, there's a free rusher coming, you know, you have to get the ball out. And typically in those situations, Jimmy Garoppolo gets the ball out to somewhere over the middle of the field, somewhere short, somewhere quick, makes sense. Right. But both of those times he let the ball go deep. One was obviously to Tevin Coleman down the left sideline. Um, and then the other one to Brandon Ayuk. And in those situations, I always think back to what you said on the podcast a while back, which is just give your receivers a chance. Because when you give your receivers a chance, more often than not, something some good is going to happen, right? Whether it's a PI, whether it's a completion, just something good's going to happen. And I thought that was the, the, the biggest thing that I took away is that Garoppolo just gave his guys a chance to make some plays. And obviously Coleman made the play. Ayuk probably should have made the play. Uh, but didn't. And, you know, more often than not, it's going to result in good things. So hopefully it's sustainable. I think the ceiling of the 49ers and how far they can go this season, especially in the playoffs, because I think they're making the playoffs, will depend on getting this version of Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, playing an efficient, clean game. He's only, he only has one, one interception on the season. Uh, we were chatting about this before we hit record. He's got a turnover worthy play rate, which is something PFF charts basically looks at interceptions, interceptable balls, basically things that should have been a turnover. His turnover-worthy play rate this season is 2.4%, which is the seventh best in the NFL. So only six quarterbacks, in theory, turned the ball over less than Garoppolo. Last season, he was dead last among all starting quarterbacks. So he was turning the ball over at a high rate, and they still found a way to win games. So if he can just protect the ball, be efficient, be good on third down, which he was on Sunday – I mean, I don't see how this offense is not successful, especially with the amount of talent they got. If they can clean up some of the mistakes and, you know, we'll, we'll segue into this next, you know, the fumble that George Kittle had, the drop that Debo Samuel had, a couple drops that Jawan Jennings had last week. I mean, if they can just clean up some of these execution things and just get out of their own way, I mean, this offense could be really good, especially if they can just keep these guys healthy. Yeah, we're talking about just what they do on third down, for example. Like They're very good because they stay ahead of the chains. And as we said, Jimmy does a good job of just recognizing the blitz and knowing where to go with the football. The one thing that has killed them is like there are the drops. There are um, the penalties. It seems like, at least it happens in recent games anyway, at the worst possible time. So... I'm, I'm trying to remember. So over the course of the season, they, they have six drops, which seems like a load. Like, it seems like they have more than it's that. So Debo has three of those. Uh, Debo has three. Uh, Kyle Juszczyk had one, but that was in the Monsoon game. I remember that. That 
drop really didn't have an effect on the outcome of the game. But Jennings did have um, a one on third down. So like, you, you just go down the line. And I didn't get credit for a drop. But if he wants to be like, for example, if he wants to be in the same class as the upper echelon wide receivers, that the slot, I believe it was the slot fade. Those yeah. are the catches that he has to make. So Jimmy put the ball away from the defender. He put the ball in a place where only Ayuk can get it. It was weird to me. It looked like I didn't pick up the ball right away. And you could, if you just watch how he tried to catch the ball with his hands, then that's where I'm getting that from. It just looked like it kind of snuck up on him. Either way, that is on the receiver. That is not a quarterback issue. You can't fault Jimmy for that. You, you, we, those are the type of throws that, you know, we've been wishing Banging for Jimmy to make. Yeah. So I, I do think with that in mind, if he continues to make these type of throws, those guys are going to come up and make those type of plays, come through for him and make those plays. So this is one of the first games in a long time, probably <laughs> maybe ever, where ever. we felt like Jimmy wasn't getting picked up by the guys around him and it wasn't like vice versa. So that's why it's easy to believe that, you know, things will probably turn around. It'll change still. Um, it was a hell of a performance by him. Again, he has the Falcons coming up. Not a good defense, and that's not going to surprise anybody. So I also, I mean, we, we just watched the Chiefs last night. They're not exactly um, this great defense that's going to slow down anybody. So I think the 49ers should be able to have success um, against them. And then the Chargers, the Browns ran all, all over the Chargers. So uh, that'll be another great opportunity uh, for Jimmy Garoppolo to stay on track. And I think it for him just to build confidence, especially why Trent, while Trent Williams is out, is going to just go a long way for the 49ers offense. So the one thing um, that I do want to know is how long is this right guard rotation going to continue? And it's not necessarily holding them back because they're still scoring no matter who is in the game at right guard. But I do wonder, you know, is this, for example, is Dispenser Burford need to take drives off at a time? What are you getting? What are you adding to the offense by inserting Daniel Brunskill into the lineup? So those are the type of things that I wonder. I feel like Burford needs all the reps he can get. And mental reps, you know, they can only go so far. Like for him, especially a day three rookie, he can only study from afar for so long. Like he needs to get these reps. And you know what you have with Brunskill. Brunskill is probably not going to change anytime soon. He is what he is. He's a veteran journeyman. Um, I, I don't know. What do you think about it? Is that just kind of making a big deal out of nothing, making a fuss out of nothing? Or like, do you think this is helping the team? I don't think you're making a big fuss out of it. I think because they won, I feel like people aren't really paying attention to it. I feel like if they had lost and the O-line had given up a bunch of sacks, then I'm sure it's under a microscope, uh, like everything is under a loss. But uh, the 49ers have done this before, right? with Chris Forster as their offensive line coach. Last season, they rotated Tom Compton and Jalen Moore in Jacksonville, I think, for a couple drives or that, you know, for a half. And then Jalen Moore just wasn't good. Tom Compton won the job, and then, you know, they just took off from there. This season may be a little bit different. Um, as I know they rotated in Dan Brunskill at right guard. Then I'm pretty sure they rotated him in, at left guard for Aaron Banks at the end of that game, which I thought was weird. Um, and I feel like with the young guys – a little different, you know, than last season. They just need the reps, especially Spencer Burford. And, you know, you know O-line play better than I do. It just feels like he has the physicality and the size and the strength to play the position. And some of the times he gets beat, it's because it's like a stunt 
miscommunication, like last week against Aaron Donald, right? Just completely blown. They let Aaron Donald uh, get to Jimmy Garoppolo easily. It feels like it's more of that than he's just getting beat one-on-one, but maybe I'm wrong. So maybe in that type of situation, it feels like Burford needs to play more. Um, and like you mentioned, Brunskill is what he is. Uh, you're glad to have him as depth, you know, in the case of injury, but especially in the softer spot of the schedule, I would just tr- kind of trust these guys here and just play through the growing pains, especially knowing Garoppolo, his quick release, he's going to get the ball out. Um, he's able to get the ball out without having to step into the throw, you know, with pressure. So I would just trust it and roll with Spencer Burford and not do this whole rotation thing. Um, but, you know, they're, they clearly see some reason to, like, rotate these guys. And it's not every drive, right? I think Burford got two, then Brunskill got two, then Burford got two. We're rotation. I hadn't seen something – quite like that it's early but Daniel Brunsko has one of the highest blown block percentages in the NFL um again that shouldn't be much of a surprise considering what he's done in the past and I think they did a good job of addressing the offensive line during the offseason as far as giving you know the young guys a chance like Burford so now is the time to let him kind of roll in and with a veteran quarterback that should now should be a time where you know you feel like you're taking some off his plate. So we'll see if that rotation keeps up. We'll see uh, how that you know affects the offense. But I mean, it is nice to worry about something or talk about something besides the quarterback. So you know, good on the 49ers. Uh, they played really well. They played about as clean of a game. You know, obviously outside of the the heartbreaking injuries for guys like um, Emmanuel Mosley and hopefully Nick Bosa is not out for too long. But We'll get a good opportunity to see what this team can do, even though they are down a couple of guys. So that'll do it for us. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. Please rate, subscribe, review, leave us five stars wherever it is that you get your podcast. My name is Kyle. Again, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at KP underscore show. Akash, yourself. You can always follow me at Twitter at A-K-A-S-H-A-N-A-V. Always appreciate everyone listening. Before we hop off, Niners Falcons, I think Niners, you said are five and a half point favorites what do you think happens give us a score prediction do they cover on the road as you know basically touchdown favorites two weeks in a row yeah i'm I'm having a hard time with that so they did stay on the east coast they're in west virginia right now and and that does matter just because you know they don't have to go back and forth so they're going to be used to the time slot but the falcons are pesky man the falcons for whatever reason i mean they're just giving teams all that they can handle so the first week, the Saints didn't really – the Saints really didn't run away with it, if I'm remembering correctly. The same with the Rams. I know the Rams were up big in the first half, but they Sucked have a coach half. who is under the Kyle Shanahan tree who took his foot off the gas and Atlanta made them pay. Obviously, that's not what you want to see um, from the 49ers. And then they beat the Browns, and they – I'm not going to say they should have beat the Bucks, but if a certain roughing the passer call doesn't happen – that game might get very interesting. So the Falcons keep it interesting. I, I, I do think it will be like a one possession type of game. Um, my score prediction would be something around the lines of 23-17, something like that. What about you? Agreed. I think it's going to be closer than the Panthers game. I feel like people kind of just club the Panthers and the Falcons together for whatever reason. But I think the Falcons, like you mentioned, are feistier. Uh, I forgot the word stats. He's pesky, you know, pesky, also, also a great adjective to describe the Falcons. 
Uh, plucky, plucky. There we go. Another, another great word. Uh, they're in the bottom five of, of DVOA in terms of defense. So I think the 27th, 27th against the run, 20th against the pass. Their offense is much better. So it's kind of the reverse of the Panthers. Their defense is worse, but their offense is pretty good. And so it's going to be interesting without some of the, the defensive stars, how that 49ers unit holds up uh, in the dome, on the turf. Uh, I do think the 49ers offense has some success. I think they win more like 27-21. I do think it's going to be closer, probably one possession game, probably something where like the Falcons backdoor cover, which I feel like they do a lot. Uh, and I don't know if the stats back me up, but I, I, I see a backdoor cover coming into play and a closer final score than maybe the game feels. But I think the Niners win 4-2, and two, come home, Kansas City Chiefs next week. Yeah, so Carolina is 31st in team DVOA. Uh, the 49ers are fifth and the Falcons are 15th. So we, sh- we should see just a, I mean, they're a better coach team. And I think that kind of bears itself out. So again, as always, thank you for listening. We will be back next week, hopefully after another victory. And as always, go Niners.